Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The BBC's Director General has struggled to settle into his role since taking over in September 2020. His job is just constant firefighting. I mean, that's how he sees his role. His friend said he feels like he opens Pandora's box every day and only the bad stuff ever comes out. In the last couple of weeks alone, BBC bosses have had to come to terms with the implications of a cabinet reshuffle, high-profile resignations and that constant battering of bias accusations. It's an intense time for the UK's public broadcaster. These add to that low rumble in the background, like the hum of the BBC's home service, only far less reassuring. The low rumble is budget cuts. A new deal with the government over the licence fee is just around the corner. It strikes me the BBC has a habit of lurching from one crisis to another. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald, sitting in for Manveen Rana. Today, the trouble with Anti. Testing times at the BBC. The big thing that's happened is we've obviously had a cabinet reshuffle. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 16th of September, our main story. After a ruthless day of firing and hiring, the Prime Minister is set to continue the biggest shakeup of his government since he entered Downing Street. Today we take you behind the glitzy facade of red carpets, champagne receptions and remarkable presenter salaries to understand what on earth is going on at the BBC. Rosamund Irwin has been watching closely. I'm the Sunday Times' media and technology correspondent. One fresh new ministerial appointment in particular has raised eyebrows. It was a good day for former health ministers. Are you happy with that? Are you happy? Nadine Dorries, very happy to be the new Culture Secretary. Oliver Dowden has moved out of DCMS, that's the Department of Culture and Media, Digital and Sport. And we now have a new minister for that, which is Nadine Dorries. She's a former nurse. She's known to people because she went on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which was quite controversial at the time. And in fact, she got the whip removed. She managed 12 days in the camp, but your votes mean that Nadine has to leave the jungle. Let's have a look at some of her jungle highlights. I'll go for it. How hard can it be? Don't worry, I'm a politician. What are we doing? My colleagues call me balls of steel. No one's interested in Westminster. She is also a published author. I think they're sort of romance novels. You know, I'm an MP, but I'm also a mum and I have three daughters. And so any spare time I had 
It was cooking, washing, cleaning, ironing school uniforms. And I decided that I needed to do something else. I didn't know what I was going to write. And that book literally just transferred itself onto the laptop. She does always speak her mind. And she has had sort of run-ins with senior conservatives before, including David Cameron and, and George Osborne. I think she called them arrogant posh boys. Not only are Cameron Osborne two posh boys who don't know the price of milk, but they're two arrogant posh boys. So it's an interesting one. Interesting indeed, mostly because we're already quite familiar with the new Culture Secretary's own views on the BBC. In fact, here they are summed up by another of the BBC's critics, Dan Wooten. Our new Culture Secretary, the woman ultimately responsible for the BBC within government, believes the licence fee poll tax for state TV is more in keeping in a Soviet-style country. She also backed a campaign to decriminalise non-payment of the licence fee. We know this because she tweeted it. It is possible, obviously, that she is not in this role that long. But I would be a little bit surprised if she doesn't slightly outperform people's expectations of her. She's got the traditional criticism that people always put about the BBC, that it's very left-wing. She believes it's been patronising in the past, and I think she also said it was a bit hypocritical and, and strident. So that will not sit very easily at the BBC, but they're perfectly aware that this is their challenge, that they have to win over people like her. Tim Davey is incredibly astute about that. Tim Davey is the Director General of the BBC, He's been in that role for around a year now. He's got a very difficult balancing act. In times of turmoil, people often think, well, do I want to stay here and and see how things shake out or do I want to see if there's anything else out there? The ministerial reshuffle is just one of the challenges facing the BBC right now. Currently, the corporation is in the midst of a massive restructuring. Back in 2016, the BBC announced that it needed to save £800 million, and around £80 million of that figure would be coming from BBC News. That meant reducing its news staff of around 6,000 by 450 people by 2022. Some BBC lifers have left, like reporters Danny Savage, Hugh Sykes and Emma Jane Kirby, and some producers who make BBC programmes have walked out too. Analysis by the Sunday Times has laid bare the extent of the exodus. The BBC has lost more than 1,500 years of experience at the broadcaster over the past 14 months. Well, there are a lot of people who've worked at the BBC for a very long time. We're talking, they're often described as BBC lifers. And they're people who've been there over 30 years and an awful lot of them are leaving. I was surprised by how many younger staff are leaving too. And I think that's because people are having to reapply for their jobs. The other pressure on the BBC here is to relocate to other cities, to outside London. So different departments are moving. You know, climate is one department that's moving, education. Technology's on its way to Glasgow. Yes, yeah, so they're going to places like Glasgow, Cardiff. One is going to Leeds. I think Newsbeat is going to Birmingham. Those moves are obviously about political pressure to move jobs outside London. You will lose expertise that way because, of course, some people just simply can't shift their lives to a different city. And now the overseer of BBC News, its director, whose legacy will undoubtedly be cemented as chief budget cutter, is leaving too. 
Fran Unsworth, who's the head of news, who's overseeing this all, she announced her departure. Now, she's not going until January of next year, but someone described it as the general departing in the middle of a war. The BBC insists that it was always planned that she was going. That's questionable because it's an odd time to leave when you're in the middle of a massive restructuring. Your reporting on this was interesting. The Director General wasn't really that sorry that she's on her way out, which I think is something that we should pick up on at this stage, which perhaps suggests a bit of an iffy relationship right at the top of the corporation. I'm sure he would never, ever be so silly as to say it to people who shouldn't talk to journalists. And I'm sure he has to give a speech at her leaving too, presumably, so I've probably made that a little bit tricky. Well, yes, indeed. Here's Rosman's scoop from earlier this month, the headline of which is BBC boss delighted to lose news chief. Tim Davey is battling to restore a reputation for impartiality and is said to be glad to lose a veteran stuck in her ways. Lots of Conservatives think he's doing a pretty good job. It is a very, very difficult job. I spoke to someone who'd spoken to him and they effectively think his job is just constant firefighting. And there was a nice line that his friend said, he feels like he opens Pandora's box every day and only the bad stuff ever comes out. And that's sort of what it is like. So he took over in September 2020. Very rapidly, the Martin Bashir debacle came out. It was an iconic, explosive and unforgettable interview. Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. (laughs) But Princess Diana was deceived into giving it. And more than 25 years on, the way in which this whole affair was handled has left the BBC in crisis once again. Then he has to go into licence fee renegotiations. One of the causes of tension between these two BBC behemoths, Tim Davey and Fran Unsworth, was the plan to fill another high-profile vacancy, and to fill it with Jess Brammer. Jess Brammer, who is in line to be appointed the head of the BBC News Channel. She was a deputy editor of Newsnight, and then she went on to be the editor-in-chief of HuffPost UK. And I think it would be hard to understate how unpopular the HuffPost is with Conservatives. They're going after Jess Brammer, and this is The Telegraph today. The front-runner to become head of the BBC's News Channel posted a series of now-deleted left-wing tweets. Conservative figures had expressed dismay at plans to appoint her into a senior role at the BBC. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. I have regularly received complaints about the lack of impartiality about BBC News and the bias that seems to be held in particular ways. There is clear concern about the potential appointment of the ex-Huffington Post editor, Jess Brammer. So that is part of the reason that this has become a big story. My old friend is absolutely right to raise this issue. And I think the message to the BBC is that Caesar's wife must be above suspicion. And the BBC must ask itself, it's going to make an appointment from the Huffington Post. Would it make an appointment from uh, the Guido Fawkes website? Now, perhaps this was a situation where the BBC was going to be damned when they do and damned if they don't. In any case, on the very same day the government announced its ministerial reshuffle, the BBC quietly announced her successful appointment to the role. When you go through the door at the BBC, you have to leave all that baggage behind you, basically. And I'm sure Jess Bramar would be capable of that. It seems pretty patronising to me that this assumption that she's incapable of doing that. 
particular, she's actually already worked at the BBC. So has that in, in her history. And I would say it must be very hard for her because this has become a sort of lightning rod. In these contexts, these conversations, I always remember Christian Amanpour at CNN. Her promo for her programme is very powerful. I learned that as a journalist, I could not be morally equivalent and nor could I present false factual equivalents. I insist on being truthful, not neutral. The kind of tagline of it is that the truth is not neutral and facts are not neutral. And I think that's just, it's really interesting to sort of consider that as, obviously she does a news programme, and it's just interesting to consider that up against the difficulties, the struggles the BBC has with impartiality. Do you think they are real struggles? Do you think it's a perception issue? How deep is that concerns about impartiality? How deep do they run? Brexit's a really good example of where the BBC struggled in terms of its coverage, because there's a difference between impartiality and balance We wouldn't put on, say, with COVID, you know, people would be incredibly critical if the BBC gave airtime to, say, anti-vaxxers, because one opinion is seen as the correct and dominant one there, and they have an obligation, obviously, not to be broadcasting conspiracy theories unchallenged, for example. But the difficulty was with Brexit that it often felt to people inside the BBC that they were giving equal weight to bad arguments as they were to good ones. And that's problematic. And I think the BBC, you know, Brexit really exposed the problems with impartiality and how difficult it is to achieve. One of the things about losing all these long-term staff from the BBC is those are the people most wedded to impartiality. Newer staff are much more likely to have been 21-year-olds on Twitter or whatever before they joined the BBC expressing opinions. So I actually think, oddly, impartiality becomes harder now. And the other thing is that Tim Davey doesn't just want to shrug off criticism, particularly that comes from the Daily Mail and from the Daily Telegraph. And he's not willing just to ignore it in the way I think has sometimes happened in the past. Does it feel to you on the timeline of the BBC's life that this period is unprecedented in terms of how shaky it feels, how many people are leaving, and the sort of level of concern and consternation at the BBC? It strikes me that the BBC has a habit of lurching from one crisis to another. And sometimes they manage to make things into crises that don't need to be. The BBC did really well in the pandemic and showed that public sector broadcasting mandate because what what did it do that others couldn't? Well, it pivoted immediately. So it started thinking about education. You know, what can we put on to help parents? Parents were suddenly in this nightmare situation where they were both having to look after their child and do a job. And the BBC showed how well it could support them. It was used by the government to put out messages that you know we all need to know about lockdowns, about what restrictions we were facing. And I think the BBC really showed its worth there. I would say that needs to be remembered. You know, we're not talking about sort of catastrophic misjudgments, but the financial pressure on the BBC is massively intensifying. That's because of the licence fee negotiations. Really, this is the government dictating. This isn't, you know, they call it a negotiation. But the only thing Tim Davey could really do is resign, or rather threaten to resign, if the government comes back and says something so disastrous that he thinks it's it's untenable. But he really sort of has to accept what the government says in terms of the renegotiation of the licence fee. And we're looking at below inflation rises. And I should say, 
TV is facing higher inflationary pressures because the cost of producing TV shows has gone up because of the pandemic, but has also gone up anyway because of things like Netflix and Amazon pouring money into this world. And actually, the advertising market in terms of um, the BBC's sort of terrestrial rivals is actually recovering really surprisingly well. So ITV and Channel 5 a little bit, they're able to spend a little bit more money than they thought they'd probably have at the same time as the BBC is facing this massive squeeze on its spending. Coming up, what will the BBC look like and sound like for future generations? But first... Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, social affairs correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you, listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think it's interesting as well, just at this point, to sort of concede that we are talking really about BBC News here. That is our focus. And the BBC is huge beyond its news division as well. It creates dramas. I'm sure many people listening to this are enjoying Vigil on, on Sunday nights at the moment. For example, there's comedy, gardening programmes. I mean, there's documentaries. You name it. The BBC is huge and vast. To what extent is BBC News, I guess, the kind of window through which we our, our perception of the BBC is tinged, is coloured? The kind thing to say about the BBC at the moment it's, it's actually outperforming. So Vigil is doing incredibly well. It's got other TV shows that are brilliant and that, you know, are immensely popular and that it's selling as well. You know, that helps too, that it's selling abroad and in, in lots of other regions. So I think we tend to focus on quite a small area, even within news, and forget all the broader stuff that the BBC does. One thing to note is that I did think it was very canny of Channel 4 to get the tennis. That was an obvious thing that the BBC could have got. So this is the Emma Raducanu final at the US Open. Yes. Now, Channel 4 paid quite a lot of money for that. Obviously, it got enormous viewer numbers. And I think the BBC missed a trick there because it was great for Channel 4, who obviously have their own problems at the moment around privatisation and are even less popular with the government. 
So clever of them to get it. But it did look like, why on earth isn't this on the BBC? So I often, when in discussions about the BBC, uh, where I have worked previously for a few years as a producer and a bit of presenting and all that kind of stuff, primarily in news, and I often describe the BBC as being a bit like your best friend in some ways, in that you can fall out with them and you can shout at them one day because you know they will still be there for you the next day when you text them and say sorry and let's be friends again. And actually, it's that sort of love-hate relationship where it's they're easy to kick, but actually, deep down, we all kind of love them. Is, is that a helpful analogy? Do you think that is the consensus, or actually is there division between people and the BBC now? I think a lot of people like giving the BBC a kicking. They're quite easy to give a kicking to. They don't always help themselves in terms of thinking about how things might be seen. But I think people want the BBC to survive and thrive. And, I and you know, polling suggests that, that there isn't great desire for massive reform of the BBC. We call it auntie, don't we? I mean, that tells you something in terms of the affection it's held. But I think also we expect high standards of our aunt, don't we? So when they fall beneath that, it's really hard not to think, you know, what on earth are you doing? You've got this amazing institution, this amazing history to protect The problem is the BBC produces so much, even if we're just talking about news, but more broadly, there's so much potential for stuff to go wrong. And I was thinking about this in relation to Andrew Gilligan, who made the broadcast about weapons of mass destruction. It is now seven minutes past six. The government's facing more questions this morning over its claims about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Our defence correspondent is Andrew Gilligan. This in particular... Andy, is Tony Blair saying they'd be ready to go within 45 minutes? That's right. That was a central claim in his dossier, which he published in September, the main um, case, if you like, against uh, against Iraq and, uh, and the main statement of the British government's belief of, of what it thought Iraq was up to. And um, what we've been told by um, one of the senior officials in charge of um, drawing up that dossier was that... Um, Actually, the government probably um, knew that that 45-minute figure was wrong. That was before 7am on the Today programme. So before most of us are even up. And you can blow up the BBC before 7am on one programme. Well, now we are joined by Alistair Campbell, a a rare moment. Um, You might remember this report sparking an enormous row between the government and the BBC. Let them just accept for once they have got it wrong. But they're now saying, you can say anything you want on the television because somebody said it to you. Doesn't matter if it's true. Doesn't matter if you check it. And of course, it had major consequences for those involved. The BBC's Director-General Greg Dyke resigns after Lord Hutton's damning report. This is partly why it comes down to the DG job being so difficult, because he's supposed to be sort of overseeing absolutely everything. But even if he tried to say, watch everything, for example, I mean, there aren't enough hours in the day. The amount of content being produced, you can't possibly micromanage the BBC, which means then that you have to trust everybody else in the organisation. And how could you possibly do that with an organisation that big? You know, you will get the odd bad apple. And so then, Ros, with with all of this sort of building, I must ask, because I love chatting about the BBC more than your average person, I would suspect. I love the goss. I love the reality show that it is as a corporation. I love the ins and outs, the who's going where, the why are they leaving, the why are they being appointed. But is this all just showbiz and we're all just, you know, we all just love a bit of a gossip about the BBC versus 
its real impact and its importance for everyday life in a democracy? Obviously, there's a gossipy dimension always. I mean, news is glorified gossip, though, isn't it? Often. And, and that's, not, that's not a terrible thing. You know, gossip is sort of the grease of human interaction, right? It, it gets lots of us through tough days and, and, you know, it's fun. More broadly, what the BBC is facing now does matter. You know, we have to work out as a society if we're happy with the licence fee model, I think, if it's going to decline in, in real terms, which, you know, it is, it is I'm almost certainly going to. How else are we suggesting they fund the BBC? And is it time to think about different models of funding and how they might work? I do think this is a really important moment in the BBC's history. I'm, you know, some people have described it as an existential threat. That is possibly the case. If they get a terrible deal out of the government, they're going to have more savage cuts. And they're already having pretty savage ones, as we've discussed then are people going to think they're getting value for money with their licence fee if they are suddenly not getting some of the services they were getting before? Why don't you abolish TV licence fees for everybody? Back in December 2019, Boris Johnson said he was looking at scrapping the licence fee. At, at this stage, we are, we have, we are not planning uh, to get rid of all uh, TV licence fees, though I'm certainly looking at it. And what I will say... In your estimation, is that likely to happen, given all that we've talked about, given views of the BBC, its own problems, its own situation, and what the future looks like against competitors that survive without something like the licence fee, Netflix, Amazon, for example? Do you think it's likely that the PM scraps the licence fee, that that is what happens? No, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you're also asking me how long Boris Johnson's going to be Prime Minister for in that question. Because I do think in my lifetime, the licence fee will go. I cannot see that in 30 years that it feels like a really old fashioned model of funding to me. It's an outlier, isn't it? I mean, other countries, they aren't. this is not a system of funding used broadly in the world. The mantra, the tagline, the thing that the BBC prides itself on is to inform, educate and entertain. We have discussed job cuts. We have discussed pressure from the public, from politicians, from finances. If there is a licence fee freeze, indeed if the licence fee starts to disappear in the coming years, can the BBC maintain the remit to inform, educate and entertain? It depends what funding model they end up with, I think. Does it live up to that remit now? I would argue, yes, absolutely. I think it does all those things and does them well. I think most viewers would say that. Do I think that would stay if they lose the licence fee? Do you know, I think they'll have to do what, to be frank, newspapers have, have had to do, which is doing more with less. One of the problems is the BBC doesn't break enough of its own stories, for example. We all have our criticisms. And I think the difficulty it has is it often looks reactive rather than proactive and not setting the agenda enough. You know, we break an awful lot of stories in newspapers and then the BBC follows them. And I think that's a strange thing, really. If you're getting all that funding, particularly on the news side, you have to break stories at sort of the basic the sort of journalism 101. And the entertaining side, look, it's TV shows are doing really well. We mentioned visual, but there are lots of others. You know, I mean, EastEnders still pulls in enormous audiences. You know, they've got lots of crime dramas that are very successful. I think the entertaining side is sort of easier for them. The trickier element is always going to be news. That's why we've ended up talking about it mostly. I think the BBC will find a way through this. 
And I think they may find they have more support than they think they do as well. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Callum MacDonald, and my guest, media and technology correspondent for The Sunday Times, Rosamond Irwin. Now, you can find all of Rosamond's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. Producers today were Marilyn Rust and Leona Hamid. The executive producer was James Shield, and sound design was by Vulcan Kizzeltook. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.